Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. Thanks for joining us today. Our guest today is Daniela Savone. She has been an executive chef and is now a wine representative. She's an alum of MasterChef, now living in Columbia, South Carolina. Welcome, Daniela. Hi, thank you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey and where you're from and uh, what you started out doing and how you became a chef? Sure. I'm originally from New York, just outside the city, and I was a teacher in English as a second language teacher for 15 years. I grew up in an um, Italian household. Both my parents are from Italy. My dad owned an authentic Italian deli in New York where I grew up working and I learned a lot of what I know today. But my passion for cooking all started when I was a little girl growing up in my nonna's kitchen, watching her cook day in, day out. And I just, my passion for cooking just grew and grew. And so can um, I interrupt you for a second? So do you speak, do you speak Italian? I do. I speak Italian. We actually have, a lot of our family is in Italy. We go to Italy once a year. We have a house there. So a lot of my, a lot of my childhood was in Italy. Where in Italy? About an hour outside of Rome, countryside, beautiful. Oh, that, that sounds wonderful. It sounds really wonderful. Okay, go on. I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, it's okay. Um, so, yeah, that's basically where my passion for cooking started and growing up in, in cooking and working in my dad's deli. Um, and then as I got older, um, just cooking um, on my own for my friends, and um, watching a lot of shows, food shows, and, you know, always reading magazines, and it, it just made me more curious to continue to experiment and, and cook more. And so I'm not culinary trained, all self-taught. And um, as I was teaching, they had asked me to teach cooking classes to adults in a continuing education program at night through my district. So I started doing that. And where was this? This is in Rockland County. I worked for the North Rockland Central School District in New York. Okay. And that class became a huge success. I taught it for a good three years, all year long, and people were encouraging me to write a cookbook. I had basically been using a lot of my nonas, my grandmother's uh, recipes, real authentic homemade you know, sauces and pastas from scratch. And so I put together a cookbook. And what's the name of that cookbook? It's an Italian, it's called Italian Cookbook, um, Nonna's Italian Cookbook. Okay. And I did, I wrote two of them, but they were basically sold with, uh, in and around my school district, my community, the county. And both books raised a significant amount of money, which I donated all the proceeds to the scholarship fund at my school, and it helped send two kids to culinary school. 
people. Ooh, that's very, very exciting. I never published them, you know, out out of, of that realm. So they weren't sold publicly outside of that area, geographic right. area. Then my Nona had passed away. So after she passed, there was something burning inside me that really wanted to do more with cooking. And I took it upon myself to audition for uh, Master Chef TV show on Fox with Gordon Ramsay. I got the calls audition after I had filled out the paperwork online and had to make a dish, bring it with me, fly down to Nashville and audition. And I made it. It was a long casting process for months and months. What else What else did you have to do besides bring in a dish? The audition part is uh, your dish and they basically base it on um, your food, your personality. And if the first round, if you make it, you they take you behind the scenes, and it's a one-on-one um, interview with the ca- behind the camera. And from there, you know the producers, the casting producers, analyze it and decide whether they want to move you on to the next step. And then it's just months and months of more paperwork and questionnaires and phone calls and sending in videos and home footage, pictures, photos of your food, photos of you growing up and just telling your journey, your entire story, your life, your background. And so do you feel that the producers are trying to create some kind of a balance among the the cohort so that you're, you know, very diverse or what do you think they're trying to go for? I soon, once I was actually casted, this went on from October till January when I got the call saying they were flying me out to L.A. and I had made it to the top 80. So after hundreds of thousands of people that they, you know, go around the country and and cast and interview, they narrowed down to 80. And once I got to L.A., I realized that they really do cast a variety of people from all different walks of life and backgrounds. And I soon learned being out in LA on the show, they really are trying to build a a character for you. And that's what they want because it is a major network television show and that's what brings in ratings. So it's not really based on your cooking. (laughs) cooking. It's more the character that you play. A lot of the people I learned while I was out there, they had been working for like modeling agencies and different type of agencies and trying to basically just book themselves to get on TV. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even really like my ultimate goal was I was chasing a culinary dream and I really wanted to, you know, get my cookbooks published and um, do something extraordinary and huge from just becoming a self-taught chef and a home cook. So after a few weeks of being out there, they narrowed down to 22 cast members. And I unfortunately was sent home way too early. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I lost to somebody who also played... Um, in a Italian background, um, very 
but very played up, I want to say. Um, oh, not, okay. Not really coming from the authentic Italian background that I was from, that I'm from. Uh-huh. Um, and she also had been in the industry. She had been, I guess she was doing professional wrestling or something. So she she was used to caricature, yeah. She, she put on a really good show and obviously was going to bring ratings in and I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and so the experience was great. I don't regret it. I mean, I gave up teaching also. I resigned from teaching in order to go out and, and pursue this. But it was a dream of mine and I wanted to stick with it. And um, I'm glad I did because in some ways it did open up, you know, doors for me, you know, just letting people know in the industry that I was casted on Master Chef, you know, it's pretty it's, it's a pretty cool story. It is, yes. When I got back home from the show, I didn't want to go back to teaching. I wanted to do something more obviously with cooking. And the cost of living in New York is really expensive and I wasn't making the same salary as I was teaching, so I decided to pack my things and move down south and it landed me here in in South Carolina. And so tell me about your journey there. Totally different um, way of life here. <laughs> Everything is a lot slower. Um, so it took me a while to get used to um, the Southern way of living. Um, people are a lot friendlier. The weather is beautiful. And after a few months, I just really just loved it and figured this is where I'm going to be. And I'm not going back to New York. I became so Shortly after, I became an executive chef of a restaurant downtown on Main Street here in Columbia. And that was an amazing experience. I mean, I don't think I would ever become an executive chef in New York, being that I don't have the culinary, you know, training. And I jump-started a restaurant, a kitchen. I designed their menu, hired their entire back of the house, and it was truly an experience of what I really wanted to do. You found out that your dream was actually something you wanted to do and you weren't disappointed. No, I wasn't disappointed in that aspect of it. After many months of being a chef and working very long hours and not having a life outside of it, it became very draining. I'm 40 years old and I felt like I could be doing this forever and ever and just not be happy outside of it, like not having a life at all. And, you know, coming home at wee hours, sleeping during the day, and then waking up and going and doing it all over again, it kind of became taxing and almost depressing, <laughs> I want to say. So, and then uh, some financial things happened. There Two of their checks had bounced on me, unfortunately, and I just thought the best thing for me was to leave and find something else that was still within the food industry. Okay. So I had my experience <laughs> of being a chef, and so now I'm I'm a wine sales rep. I do work with restaurants, and I do tastings and pair wines with their menu. Um, but I do miss the cooking aspect part of it and creating dishes and, you know, creating recipes. 
and getting people to taste my food or, you know, try my recipes. So as I am still a wine sales rep, I'm trying and starting to navigate into becoming a recipe creator and a food writer for a publication of, of some sort. I have a column in a magazine called Natural Awakenings which is a free magazine. It doesn't pay. But for now, it's the exposure that I'm trying to get, you know, myself out there and network and, and market myself as much as possible. So do you think that if you had started this process when you were younger and instead of having your experience as a teacher, that this would be a, a, a different, you'd be in a different place right now? How much does the fact that you just aren't, you know, fresh out of school, so to speak, do you think really influences what you want and what your goals are? Growing up, I always wanted to be a teacher. And I love teaching. I did. It just, I think things just, you know, happen in life where you grow out of something and it um, you kind of lose interest and it, it becomes too routine. And again, losing my, my Nona and finally discovering that, that deep passion for cooking at a later part of my life. I think things are happen for a reason. You know, I, I was meant to, to teach cooking and write cookbooks and send kids to culinary school. Um, I was meant to move down to here to South Carolina to, you know, experience becoming an executive chef and living out that dream. And I just think that this is the way life was meant to play out. And so now you're just exploring another aspect of it. Have you thought about yeah. getting any sort of training as a, a psalm or anything like that? No, um, it's not really where my heart is. Uh-huh. Um, I took on becoming a wine rep uh, because I still wanted to be within the restaurant and food scene mm -hmm. here in Columbia. And it's great because I've gotten to know, you know, so many people mm -hmm. and um, I've only lived down here for, you know, almost I would say two and a half years. And I, you know, everybody knows who I am now at this point, um, being that I was the exec executive chef at a restaurant. And now that I'm a sales rep for most of the restaurants downtown. Um, so I think being a wine rep really helped me as far as just getting, you know, my name out there and, so when they see, you know, I'm posting stuff that, you know, creating recipes or whatnot, like you know, people gravitate towards it they, down here. They know that I come from a very Italian background. They know that I have experience cooking and I have a passion for cooking and they know my story. And it's, it's building up, I want to say. And it's, it's, you know, it's gotten me to the yes it's not a paying publication where i'm writing recipes but it's it's a start so tell me what are some of your very favorite recipes what is it um, that you like i mean is it are you more savory are you more 
pastry and sweets? Definitely more, definitely more savory. Okay. Um, I love making pasta from from scratch, homemade oh. pasta. What um, kind of pasta? What kind of pasta do you make? Do you make something like a ricciotta, or do you make something that's long and thin, or what do you? And and do you extrude it, or do you just do the more kind that's rolled? I could pretty much do just about anything uh-huh. pasta. My favorite dish of all is homemade potato gnocchi, which is just something that reminds me so much of my nonna. She would make that all the time. And when I was a little girl, she would let me roll the gnocchi with my fingers. And that just making potato gnocchi always just brings me back to being in the kitchen with my nonna. So it's one of my favorite recipes and it's absolutely delicious. So do you do it ambrodo or how do you how do you serve it with uh, a fresh tomato sauce okay and a lot of pecorino romano cheese builds builds up into the little creases of the of the gnocchi and that's where all the the flavor is Mm -hmm. yeah um i also make mozzarella from scratch homemade mozzarella Uh and um, that's another thing that down here i've become known for as well you don't really find that often down in the South where people, you know, make homemade mozzarella from scratch. And so it's a treat. And it's, it's something that I grew up watching my dad doing for years and years in the deli. And I could do it pretty much with my, my eyes closed. Do you find that there's a connection between the food that you make and the food of the South that you've experienced in South Carolina? The food that I make and the southern food is, are completely different, but it's both comforting food. There's a lot of tradition and southern food. There's a lot of staples that go, you know, a long, long way, and people pass down, you know, generation to generation their way of making, you know, grits and pies. And so there's, I guess there's that part aspect of it, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's Italian food is is comfort food, and it's families passing down traditions and recipes for for years and years. I'm not as um, full Italian as you are, but I'm half Italian, but I grew up in New Orleans, and I see lots of connections, uh, the emphasis on fresh ingredients and sort of the immediacy often of going to the store again and again because yeah. uh, you want it as fresh as possible, not something you bought last week that's been in the refrigerator forever. Right. So yeah. I, I think there are lots of, of attitudinal and cultural connections there that, that make people appreciate each other's cuisine in a way that you might not always think of at, at, at first glance because the food is different. But I do think there's there's a lot of room to appreciate each other's cuisine because of that attitude is very similar. I definitely see that connection as well. You know, in Italy, we, we, it, it is as farm to table as you can get. I and mean, it's basically what you find in your backyard, mm-hmm. what you're growing for, for the time, you know, the season. And that's how we, you know, base our meals and, and the cuisine, what we're eating. My hometown, we have 
uh, livestock farm. We grow a lot of our food. We kill a lot of our food. And it's all as, as farm to table as you could possibly get. And here in South Carolina, there is a huge emphasis on locally sourced ingredients. And there are a lot of, lot of fresh seasonal produce that um, restaurants really, really thrive on. I think there are that there are some interesting connections. I know in New Orleans, for example, now we had a huge Sicilian population in New Orleans at the turn of the 20th century. Tens of thousands of people from Sicily came to New Orleans, and it has actually affected the food of the city a lot because there were so many, many people here from Sicily. But one of the things that I think is really interesting is that undercurrent of umami that you get by putting anchovies in a sauce, but letting it kind of fall apart and just kind of be in there. In New Orleans, they use dried shrimp in almost the same way that have been slightly fermented as they dry. So right. it's uh, there, there are many things that if you really, really looked from recipe to recipe, you would see so much uh, connection. And, uh, yeah. and Look at grits, which is like a southern staple. That's right. It's polenta, and basically. Polenta yeah. is an Italian staple dish, you know? Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, there's, 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 yeah. That would actually make a very interesting cookbook. It would, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And uh, that gives you that sort of cultural connection where you see how the rural nature of things kind of produces the same or similar attitude in these totally different places. Yeah. That's something for me to explore now. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) I really hope that you find that place where you've got your finger in lots of different culinary pies where there's lots of change and it's not always the same. I can imagine that perhaps your father felt some of that same thing that you were talking about with the sort of relentlessness of the restaurant in his place where he was probably making a whole lot of mozzarella. (laughs) But you know what? It's People, once they discover it and they know where to go, and it's just the, the driving force in, in the business that, like, everybody goes there for that particular, you know, product. Like uh-huh. They know it's homemade, it's fresh. It's, it's what drives my dad and me as well, too. And you make something that people just go crazy for, and that's why they're there. I mean, that's what drives your, your passion for cooking. You know, you want to make, you want to please. There's a whole lot of yourself that you that you're giving to people that way. That's true. Yeah, yeah. But I do think that having, uh, as I say, your fingers in a number of pies, make sure that nothing kind of drags you down and overwhelms you. Especially right now, there's a lot of overwhelming. <laughs> That's true. Are since we're doing this conversation during the sort of lockdown about coronavirus. Are you all on lockdown or staying at yeah, home? I'm working, I'm working from home, taking orders from home. And so does that mean you're doing more cooking because you're at home? I am doing more cooking. I certainly am. Are you, you're saying that, that you really... Mean more visits to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're trying to avoid. 
So are you making uh, ravioli or tortellini or anything stuffed? No, I haven't done that yet. I'm, I'm waiting for a good day where I'm not plumped in front of the computer to actually do that. <laughs> Um, but I am making pasta and, and a lot of comfort food these days, that's for sure. Yeah, I could also imagine you making pasta and selling it to the restaurants. That would be interesting. Or even selling it fresh at grocery stores. Then somebody would really know if you sold it alongside your mozzarella at the farmer's market, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's actually a really good idea. <laughs> it would, you know, be one of those creative outlets that uh, would be a complement to what you're doing now in wine. Mm-hmm. And so before we go, tell me a little bit about you being an MC at the, at the wine and food experience. I know it's been postponed, but tell me about what you'd be doing there. So Columbia has the Food and Wine Festival, which was supposed to yeah be April 26th, and it got postponed to August. I'm grateful that it, it got postponed and not canceled altogether. They had asked me to MC the chef demos, so they select five or six extremely well-known, talented chefs in Columbia to do demos food demos at the during the festival and I will be emceeing I will be you know talking to them through their demos and interviewing them and question you know asking them questions about their techniques and skills and and things like that and hopefully asking the questions that the audience and people want answered and want to know that sounds like a lot of fun really I'm excited for it I am I actually this is the first time I'm seeing. Last year, I was the chef at the restaurant, so I had a booth, and I was participating in the festival, giving out little samples of food. So this year, it'll be from a different perspective, but I'm excited. And then you, you get to, to really observe what everybody's working on. That's kind of exciting, because you have to make certain decisions when you're cooking in that way. You know, you can't mm-hmm. slow cook everything because... It won't be finished in time. <laughs> right. No, it should be fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to August for sure. I want to thank you. We all are, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we all are. We are hoping that we all come out of this at the other end. That's true. So thanks so much for, for giving us your time today, Daniela. And thank you. You're having me. You're welcome. I really um, enjoyed talking to you. Well, I appreciate you having me. This is a nice, nice uplifting way to spend the day today. Thank you. You're welcome. So thanks for joining me today, listening to Tip of the Tongue. We are part of the Nitty Grits Network of the National Food and Beverage Foundation with other great podcasts like The Sustainable Table, hosted by Brent Rosen. Come visit us at our studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. You can find us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.